1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I am so glad you all take the time to listen to the podcast and listen to me ramble. But uh, fortunately, it's not as much rambling as it is just hearing great stories from other producers across the country. Uh, really enjoyed the last several years having these interviews. It's been good stuff. Wanted to give uh, some updates real quick before we get into our interview. Uh, we are finally getting some some warm weather here. The grass is turning green. Things are starting to, to come out, getting excited there. Um, I, I'm fairly confident. I'm very, actually, I'm very confident. You know, that's what happens when you say you're confident then you get disproven. But I'm very confident that two, my two sows have settled. Uh, Merida, who's been around forever, uh, she was in full standing heat um, about, about 15 days ago. So I don't think... I just don't know if Mongo's tall enough to get her. You know, she's almost 900 pounds, so I just don't think he's tall enough to to uh, do the deed. And she's um, she's not too happy for him to be around. So it may be one of those things where she's uh, she's become the old curmudgeon, and uh, she, you know, there's there's all kinds of things we could say we need to ha- have done with her, but uh, she's become a farm fixture now. So she may be my equivalent of a 900 pound dog, but uh, she's fun to have around. All right, well, um, again, would be remiss if I didn't mention real quick. I won't go into the full details. I uh, appreciate, again, uh, the people that have stepped up to help, um, help support this effort with the Patreon. Um, I'd really appreciate uh, others to join in. We still are, are trying to reach a certain goal here. If we hit 20, then we're going to launch uh, quite a few things. But uh, even before then, we are going to start doing some uh, drill-down content. Uh, the people that are supporting have given me good feedback. We're going to dive uh, headfirst into the business setup side of of Pastured Pigs. You know, everything from, I think we're going to start with cost analysis and then get into marketing and those type of things. Uh, but we'll we'll have our first episodes hitting uh, behind the paywall in April. So, um Again, would would love to have more people participate in that. Would love to have more input. Obviously, the support helps us uh, grow and do some other things as well that I'd like to do. So consider doing that. Uh, again, you can support for as little as five dollars a month, and you know it's not a uh, lifelong commitment. You can obviously opt out whenever. But we're going to also hopefully have some other resources uh, to go along with our our podcast. We'll have some uh, spreadsheets, some other downloadable content that uh, ties into what we're talking about to hopefully be an advantage to be uh, uh, something that you can use to help uh, grow or launch your pastured pig operation. Well, to, today, I say I say today, tonight, I always do this in the evening. So tonight, we've got a, a really good interview with uh, Robbie Jean from Shale Ridge Farm, and he's up in Pennsylvania. And, you know, it's one of those things, I don't want to, uh, I got to say this the right way. When, when I listen to somebody and I can tell that they're very young, then you know there's automatically preconceived notions that I have, and, and again that's I know that's wrong. Um, I'm 47, so i I guess I'm becoming the crotchety old guy now. Some of you all that are in your 50s or 60s, are like oh I'd love to be 47, but when listen to Robbie, um, Robbie's in his his 20s, and I got to say he blew away every negative preconceived notion I have. I I just really like this guy's energy. Uh, I'm, I'm very jealous of his energy actually, and would just love to be, uh, when I was 27, I, I was working a professional career in Florida and I just, I just wanted to play golf and ride my motorcycle. I had really no other, uh, you know, other ambition at that point. So I, I just really appreciate somebody who's, who's got a little bit more of a, a level head on their shoulders, has a game plan, uh, wants to develop a business, wants to actually do something other than just consume, 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 which is what uh, I was wanting to do when I was his age. So really exciting, uh, good conversation with him. Uh, Love what he's got going on there, and like I said, really appreciate his energy and his desire and the fact that, Lord willing, he stays healthy. He's got 20, 30, 40 years to dedicate to this and, and really turn it into something great. So let's jump in and hear what Robbie has to say about his setup in Pennsylvania, and we'll catch you guys on the back of the interview. Good evening, Robbie. Hi, Troy. So how are things up in Pennsylvania currently?
2: Uh, Well, I'm up to my knees in about two foot of snow, and uh, it's starting to melt, so it's nice and wet and muddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, tis the season, right? So are you in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, uh, central, western, whereabouts are you?
2: I'm north-central, so... Um, I'm real close to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, about 15 minutes north. Uh, we kind of are famous for Little League World Series. Oh yeah. Um, I'm about an hour uh south on 15 from um Elmira, New York. So.
1: Okay. Yeah, so you're you're real close to the line then. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Almost a New Yorker.
2: <laughs> yep, almost. <laughs> almost. Glad I'm not.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, things are a little different. Taxes. You, yeah, exactly. I so say things get a little different once you cross that line, it seems like. So. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about Shale Ridge Farm. Give me your uh, overall description of your setup there.
2: Uh, so we are a polyculture running uh, pasture pork and sheep, and we do some poultry with some chicken and turkey. Um It is my wife, uh, Delaney, and I, and we've both pretty much been around livestock most our life. Delaney was very competitive in 4'8". Um, I got my first pig and a job on a farm when I was, like, 12 and kind of been an addict ever since then, and here I am today. Um, We, about three years ago, kind of decided to really try to make a go at the farm. It's my dream to kind of be able to make at least one full-time income off of it, so we started, you know, trying to, trying to be more professional, and it's been very good since then. But um, I'm real scared of going too big too fast, so we, we've grown nice, slow rates and trying to learn before we, we jump in. But every year has been growth, and um, this year we finished out 15 hogs, and next year I have 25 butcher dates lined up, and I'm on a list to get as more if I can. <laughs>
1: wow. Yeah, that's great. All right, so a couple of questions there, a couple of details I want you to unpack. So you said uh, your wife Delaney was, uh, you both have farming experience since you were young, and uh, your your wife Delaney was very competitive in 4-H. Uh, what does that mean? Does she, like, get in there and throw elbows around, you toss people around?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, it, yeah, it was 4-H and, um, like, showing livestock in general. She she did a lot of jackpot showing all over the country and, right. well, more East Coast, but, uh yeah, it was it was pretty much her life. Like uh, that's that's what she did every Saturday all summer, and going to a show, and every day of the week doing doing all the thing. Um, she was kind of on a little team that did it, and it was it was a pretty cool thing yeah. they had going.
1: Awesome. So, uh, so both of you grew up around livestock or on far, uh, farms. I assume is that in the Pennsylvania area? Is that your kind of home turf there?
2: Yep. Yep. We're both from. I actually. Uh, We live two miles away from the farm, but the farm is actually uh, a family farm. It's been in my uh, dad's side of the family for 200 years, and it's now my dad's. And uh, One day we're going to be over here. There's a farmhouse my grandmother lives in, but I want her to live there as long as possible, so we're in no hurry. But um, pretty much, it it wasn't a farm. It hasn't been a for-profit farm since the 30s. My dad, when he was a kid, had some livestock in the barn, but honestly just this winter or this fall I had to totally clean out the barn this is the first time I'm ever using the barn in all my livestock years up here uh, my grandfather just had a full of stuff he collected over the years and I needed winter farrowing places and and uh, so I finally have my own barn <laughs>
1: yeah yeah man that's neat I, I love those stories where you hear about generational uh property there that we've been able to hand that down it sounds like 200 years man that's 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 pretty great to have that in the uh, in the family that long so i'm sure that land could tell some stories over those past 200 years
2: (laughs) yeah and i'm really into the barn because like every generation for the last few how to do a major project to keep it going um i'm about to recite it and re-roof it but when my dad was a kid uh 15 to 18 every summer they jacked up the barn, and, and him and his dad ripped out the old foundation by hand and laid new block. And so, you know, it's kind of cool to take over the responsibilities of that.
1: Yeah, awesome. Now, is that, are you in dairy country? Was that a dairy farm at one point?
2: Uh, this was not really, um, it was kind of, a, it, was, it was another poly- polyculture, um, but back in the day. I am in dairy country, unfortunately, um, dairy country slowly dying. Mm and um you know there's a lot of a lot of old dairy farms a few years ago we got lucky with some not we my family personally but this area got lucky with some natural gas um so that did give a few good dairy farmers a good chance of retirement so that was nice for them
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that um marcella shell really kind of changed a lot of things and i guess you guys have utica shell up there too that they're they're tapping into we we get that down in West Virginia as well. It really changed the economy for a lot of people pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Okay, so um, obviously this is the Pastured Pig Podcast, and we want to get in here in a second to talking about your pigs. But I would like to spend some time uh, quickly here at the beginning talking about polyculture. We've we've kind of danced around this for what do we like our 50 fifty-something episode, and we've had a lot of people on that. That have more than just pigs on their on their farm, but I thought it'd be a good opportunity looking at the uh, variety that you have to talk about the pros and cons real quick of polyculture. So, Robbie, in your experience, uh, a why why the polyculture? What led you in that direction? And and what was the genesis of that? What was the order of the livestock that you added, or did you decide, hey, I'm going to do all these all at once and we're going to hit the ground running?
2: Um, no. So I started with pigs. Um, and pigs are kind of where my heart lies. Um, we've had I had cattle in high school, and I got and got myself overwhelmed and reduced down. But I, since I was thirteen, I haven't gone six months without having pigs. So I've always had pigs. and then once we kind of started going farther with the farm, as I got older, I kind of got into food and I wanted all my own food, so that's what I wanted to do. so then, we did chickens one year for ourselves, and I found out that you know if you're doing fifty you might as well do two hundred <laughs> right. and it's easy to get rid of and so we did the chicken and then um i I, I don't know I just really had a kick I wanted to get some sheep and uh and I got some premier one fencing and got some sheep and a couple more cows then and um uh, yeah, so kind of all at once, but kind of spread out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so and, and, excuse me. Goodness. And I don't think we've talked about it yet, but for to give give our listeners that kind of a scale or scope of what you're working with here, yeah, we're talking about the family farm is is roughly around 200 acres, is that correct?
2: Yep, it's 200 acres. It's about um I have about like 12 acres of usable pasture. Um, and then I have a pretty much barren field that's about, uh, another, probably another 10 acres, and then the, the rest is all wooded, and the, the pigs, for the most part, um, started in some wood, wooded area, quick backstory on the property, my dad owned a sawmill most of my life, mm. and, uh, he logged that 200 acres, um, pretty good, um, you know, whenever there was someone down in their log, a the logger needed a job, this or that, you know, he, gave them this 10 acres to cut of that. So I have a lot of young beech brush and just undesirable stuff. Um, So the pig started off in the woods. I started doing pasture uh, probably like seven years ago now. And so now they have it worked in pretty good to where they got some actual pasture and open. I'm fortunate enough, we own our own construction business, so I have some heavy equipment. So when they tear it all up and rip stuff out and then in the winter when it's frozen i go in and kind of clean up make piles of wood and burn piles and the whole nine yards and yeah kind of pecking away at it
1: that's great that's great yeah i I miss those days of, of things being frozen to be able to work in winter we've we've been yeah. quite a few years since we've had that down here so
2: yeah i know same up here i got a last year i didn't have too much of it the year before i had a couple days but it's kind of a pain <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it, it definitely becomes a challenge I've um it's days like today where I, I keep thinking man I wish I would have gone ahead and bought 300 ton of gravel uh this this summertime and had it all spread out <laughs> yeah
2: I'm super blessed too that we have an abundance of red shale
1: oh yeah yeah so
2: um I literally have like a mini quarry of loose dove shale that I I utilize that all the time
1: <laughs> that's great that's great so with the polyculture, what um, what would you say uh, looking at now? Because you, you've you've in the last three years is, is really when you, you turned this into a business or, or really focusing on generating revenue, like you said, trying to turn it into a full time income. Is that correct? Right. So what um, what would you say in this polyculture was the was, was the benefit? And, and yeah, you know, what's the kind of the pro and con weight so far that you've seen in polyculture?
2: The benefit is definitely cash flow. Um, at different times throughout the year, um, the lamb and the pork are, are very close together, so that cash flow is not um, always as handy. But the lambs usually go first, and that gives me some cash flow for to take my first batch of pigs to the butcher, which is is not cheap. I have an awesome uh, USDA butcher that, honestly, they're the reason I decided to take the, bus- the farm to a business is because I found a butcher that actually produced a product that I was proud to put my name behind. Mm. Um, that's one thing that I kind of figured out too, is especially with pork is the butcher is 50%, you know, of, of your product when you're depending on their smoke, their sausage flavor, Uh, um, your hams, your bacon, you know, everything that is on them. And if it's not consistent and good, it's your product's not consistent and good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's key. We, we hear that echoed throughout our, our guests uh, on the podcast that, uh, it really is. You know, they really are the gatekeeper, and it's unfortunate uh, that we can't have that full control. obviously, unless we put our own processing plant in our, our on our farm, but Which uh, I
2: would love to do. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I, I mean, that's the thing. That seems to be the. You know, there's a trend there, and and I think as you look at a certain scale, and then I think that's a possibility to get toward. But uh, but yeah. So obviously, cash flows worked out um, worked out well there. I, I agree with you on the chickens. That's why we run chickens as well because. In eight weeks, you can turn some cash there. So what what are the challenges you, you find with polyculture, however?
2: Well, honestly, other than just time management, um, I can't really say too many cons about having more animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the biggest thing I decided to recently is we sold our beef cows, is you can spread yourself too thin. Um, I don't need my hand in every industry when I can focus on, you know, the pigs. It goes pigs and poultry and lamb are kind of tied right now. Lamb's not the greatest for us, simply the fact that we're holding back all of our ewe lambs for breeding stock. So, you know, we're, we're having a small number of a lamb crop, and, you know, last couple of years, most of them have been used. So, um, you know, this is actually the first year that we decided to sell the lamb. Um, for the last two years, we kind of did test runs. First year, they were a little smaller than they needed to be. Um Last year everything was great. gave you know gave it away to people we know who like lamb. Last year everything good reviews. This year sold it. We put it on our Facebook. Um, we had three lambs available the one time, and we had it all sold in four hours.
1: Yeah, why we're good. So are you are you finding that one specific um, one specific livestock is is bringing the uh, lion's share of your your customer base in, or, or is kind of the front door the gatekeeper there? How has that worked out for you so far?
2: Definitely the pork, and probably only because that's what I started first. Uh-huh. Um, um, my pork customers now want chicken. Um, I did have one person who bought both pork and lamb this year, but mostly the pork just because that's what we started first. That's what we are have more of, so that's what we market toward more, um, is the pork and kind of other you know, people find other products through that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. That's, that's one thing we learned is uh, we, we found our our best entry product was actually eggs, pastured eggs because there just wasn't a lot of that around here. And uh, people always, you know, people always eat eggs. So it was, a, it was a regular touch point we had with our customers and then we could upsell them on either individual pork cuts or holes and halves at that point.
2: Uh, we tried to do eggs this year, actually, and for some reason we just had awful prior problems uh, with our laying hens and nothing else. I mean, none of our, uh, you know, any of our other poultry. We did, uh, I think we did 300 broilers this year, and uh, this was the first year we did turkeys. It was We did 14, and I wish I would have done 50. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> that's the thing. But I tell
2: you, one of the greatest things, too, for us this year was um, I started offering quarter hog shares. Oh, really? The guy that I buy my personal beef from, he started offering it by the eighth and was telling me, you know, a lot more people can handle that. So I started offering it by the quarters. And that really, I mean, you know, for every one pig you sold, you just picked up four customers instead of one. And, um, you know, it's a little. It, it, it definitely seemed easier selling the smaller amount.
1: So how did you manage that with, uh, obviously, just, just the cuts of the, the pig itself, but then even with your processor, do you... Did your processor kind of groan when you come in and say, "Hey, I want this one pig process, but here's four individual cut sheets for that"? Or did you did you limit the options in that situation?
2: No, I I did um I, I did a straight limit of of um like they they didn't have any choice of what they wanted. And the way I did it was like I did it in groups. Uh, my my butcher offers a bunch of different sausage flavors, so I did everybody in groups of um like like twos, two pigs per, per eight people. And um, I averaged the weights out and averaged it and then just split it amongst amongst the eight. But the butcher, butchered them as a whole hog and then I brought them home and, just, and broke them down into quarters and redistributed them.
1: Oh, I see. So how did you handle your hams? Did you have your hams halved or did you just do sliced or did people just... Uh,
2: all ham steaks, yep. Yeah, yeah, that's good. For the quarters.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that, that makes sense. I and mean, that's where if, if people want a whole ham, then, of course, they've got to you know, go another route other than a quarter hog. Right. Yeah, and I, I think looking at those opportunities and sticking your toe in the water, again, with a relationship with the uh, processor, I like what, you're, what you said you did there, kind of limited the options. You're not giving um, four customers four individual cut sheets to, say, go nuts, that you're right. like, coming back and, 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 and regulating that.
2: I also found, too, most people that were buying quarters um, wouldn't have understood the cut sheets anyway. Um, <laughs> I was very surprised how how much help I had to provide to the customers with what they wanted. Um, so next year, for sure, I'd like to I'd like to make up some kind of sheet explaining it better that I can send out in their email. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know. And another thing I thought about too is, and I've heard a couple of people on your podcast talk about it, is doing like flat rate on on what I wanted. For the the pig versus by the pound, um, explaining the hang weight and all that kind of got a little frustrating. Um, yeah, but
1: yeah, it is interesting. And yeah.
2: I I don't have I don't have my weights like perfectly nailed down yet to where I can guarantee. I, I have for the most part, but now that I'm starting to farrow my own hogs, I want to wait and and find out what I'm gonna call them finished at. Uh, you know, at what
1: point. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's good, definitely. Yeah, it's, uh, you find with, uh, well, at least we found with, with customers in the cut sheet, taking the time to explain is, you know, there's, there's some time in that, and we found we just cannot handle, uh, we just can't hand our processor's cut sheet to them because there's, it's so cryptic, there's just, you know, he uses it to actually right. do his cut, so it's not like he's got a lot of description in that, so... Uh, it's it's one of those challenges where you have to educate people on, uh, but you're right. Yeah, uh, you know, the idea of, of flat rate uh, can eliminate some issues there when people don't fully understand uh, what a live hog weights to uh, weighs to its hanging weight to its uh, you know, uh, processed weight, your know, final product uh, weight. So. Right. All right, so let's let's segue over and talk about uh, your hogs a little bit. So, do you, what what breed do you focus on? Do you have a specific breed? Is there an area you like to stay there?
2: Um, there's a there's a, this is the first year we're gonna be farrowing. Um, I, I farrowed when I was in high school, and um, again it was one of those things where I got way too much going on and kind of got discouraged. had to limit it back down. Just decided to do feeders, buy feeders every year and finish and um, this year I had an awful time finding feeders. When I finally found enough of what I wanted, it was it was just it was an awful year for feeders. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I decided I wanted a sparrow. I decided that I wanted to do um, Berkshire's. I wanted to do registered Berkshire's, just because I like them. Um, I, I you know I know they're a good quality meat line meat breed. Um, I don't know how much better they are than other. Good quality breeds, but I just I just like that that black pig. Um, I also like the idea that it seems you can market the piglets as uh, the feeder piglets at a higher rate. Um, I'm going registered just because you know if if you're gonna have uh, purebred, I'm, I figured I might as well have them registered that way. If there are any you know quality breeding stock I wanted to hold, I could register them, just increase value. Um, you know, it doesn't cost any more to feed a registered pig than it does an unregistered pig. <laughs> That's right. Um,
1: not like not everything this more year is
2: going to be registered, uh, because some of the gilts that I raised up in piglets this year I bought in the spring, they were a little too small for this boar I had. And my, my, my permanent boar that I got out of Ohio, he's going to be, he was a little too small yet. So I had to get an unregistered boar to cover, cover three of the six, uh, emails
1: i have right now gotcha yeah yeah well good. it sounds like you've got a you've got a good plan and a goal specifically with that breed
2: yeah I, you know and i i was actually just talking about this today with somebody else i don't even i can't even say that i'm going to stick to the berkshires forever i really like the idea of the berkshire and the Duroc cross um i really enjoy the thought you know, I like playing. That's one of the cool things I liked about pigs and farming is I like playing with genetics. Like, it's a fast turnaround. You know, yeah. see what your, your end result is in, you know, 115 days. And then it, it, I think that's very interesting and fun to see what you can do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you said how many um, how many sows are you breeding this year?
2: We're going to be doing six. We have six bred. Um, two of them are sows, and the last four are all gilts.
1: Okay okay and uh he
2: got the two sows out of a uh, third dispersal actually and uh when i went to get them, there was a boar that was with him and he was for sale too and he kind of just came along with the package and he, would try, he was the biggest boar he was the biggest pig i've ever personally dealt with he was easily 750 800 pounds and uh he was about up to my my chest in height and i for the first couple weeks I had him, I will say I was afraid of him. I haven't really been afraid of pigs before, but he, he scared me. He's nice and gentle, but when he got in with that feed bucket and he comes at you like a normal pig comes at you, but he's up to your chest, it's a little intimidating.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, no doubt. And even—even even the most gentle pig weighs that much. All he's got to do is just turn around and knock you into the next <laughs> next <fatic>. paddock. <Yep. laughs> Yeah, especially
2: with those
1: big tusks sticking out. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's always fun too. Those, you you see you see horror stories about that where your most gentle boar just swings his head around and ends up uh, opening up a thigh like a zipper sometimes. So you definitely got to be yeah. careful with that stuff.
0: All right.
2: Yeah, he's he went down the road now and he uh, he found a good home. So yeah, I don't have to worry about him anymore.
1: I hear. Yeah. So you, you right now you currently have one boar that you're going to service, or you've got two?
2: I have, I have, um, I got rid of him quickly, and I got another unregistered boar to cover those three then, because that that guy was too big. Yeah. Um, but then I have a boar that was born in September that I went out out to Ohio to get, and that's a whole other story. If we have time to get into that, I'd like to share one of my sure kind of failures in the farm. Um. This summer I went out to buy a very nice boar. He was he was a registered boar um, from a guy named Bob Flock, and he just had him out to Indiana having you know, the whole genealogy test done, the health test done, and all that. It was exactly what I wanted, and I went out and got him, and this summer was extremely hot, and I got him home, got him set up in the pasture. He had a shelter, a nice little, uh, He was uh, not little, he was under a big, shade tree and um got him out, he was fine, came back well, that was in the middle of the day. Came back a bunch of times. Came back in the morning to feed at like six and he came out, ate, no problem. I continued it was a Saturday, I continued to do farm chores. I looked over around like eight thirty and he's out in the beaten sun and I was like, Buddy, you are not used to this. You should probably get in the shade. So I went and lured him over with some watermelon into the into under the shade tree and ran the hose because I run it out of siphon from a pond, out of a big wallow Gone, everything seemed great. Um, My sister was actually home visiting and wanted to see this new pig. So we go down to 10 o'clock, and um, the pig won't get up for her. But it's hot, and he's just laying there in the mud, and I'm like, okay, whatever. So when all the family leaves, I was a little concerned. I went and got a feed scoop, and he didn't get up for the food, and I was like, all right, here we go. What's going on? So I went and uh, kept the water going on him, went and called the guy I got him from. He's like, he's probably just stressed and hot. Um, You know, go get him some Gatorade, get some electrolytes, do something. So I was like, okay. So I ran back to the farm before I went to town, and I got over there, and he was standing up. And I was like, okay, great, awesome. I'm going to run Texas supply, grab some things. I'll be right back. Came back an hour and a half later, all all four hosts in the air, and he was dead. Oh, gracious! And it was a heartbreak. He was the most expensive piece of livestock I ever bought, and I was super pumped about him. A big plans for him, named him, put him on Facebook already. Look at my new boar, and uh, yeah, he died, and it was it was horrible. But Bob was amazing about it, and he ended up giving me this this replacement boar because. He just felt so bad about it. Um, the boar I had, he was he was like three fifty, four hundred pounds. He was he was eight months old, I believe. And um, yeah, it was it was awful. So I will not be doing any kind of pig transportation in the dead of summer ever again.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, that's tough. That's one of those things where. You, you you just you just don't know. I mean, there's so many variables that can come into play there, and you know you don't know until you know that that uh, it's a hard lesson learned, but it is a lesson. And man, no, nobody yep. likes to lose an animal, and uh, yep, that's part of it. Yeah, it is it's it's tough.
2: So let's. Uh, I, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I did call the vet too, but they were like, you know, okay, we can get up there. It was a Saturday. They were like, we can get up there in a couple hours, and I was gonna have them up, but. I call them
0: back and tell them, never
1: mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's that's a tough situation too cuz that that rubs against cash flow as well. You know, you spend all that money on a, on a boar, you have them come out and you you spend twice as that for a vet bill and then you still end up having a dead animal. That that hurts even more. So. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's tough stuff. Well, let's talk about your pasture setup real quick. So, um so do you, do you keep your boars uh, integrated with your, your sows and your gilts? Are you going to separate them? Are you going to keep them on uh, you know, separate paddocks? And then kind of what's the layout of your pasture?
2: Yeah, so I have, right now, I have about five acres um, fenced with, uh, well, about an acre and a half. And it has, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on the, like, sheep fence around it and then a, a hot wire inside. And then that's kind of like their training area. That's where they start off for a year and then they rotate through. And usually after about two months, um, they're out of the whole acre and a half. That's split into three sections. They're out of there into a bigger area. That's just three-strand hot wire, and then that's packed off into different um, sections as well. Um, I will keep the boar with them. when um, I'm going to try to end up running two different groups of sows and try to keep the boar with one of the groups for most of the time. Um, I don't really want them to be alone um, if I didn't go through a, there's so many boars this year already I would probably buy another young boar and raise it up with him but he's already to the point where he you know he, he's kind of been a single pig so I actually just kind of I bought I actually traded a guy I, I raised some feeders for him that he had and didn't have room for and um, he, he gave me three of the gilts that I'm going to put in with this boar now they're young yeah but just just somebody he can be with over the winter that I know he can't breed, but he can, he can stop being that spoiled
1: single child. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, sounds good, sounds good. So, uh, so how many how many paddock divisions or pasture divisions do you have in in your rotation process?
2: Well, I have I have three that are permanent, and then um, in the third, it's like it's like three and a half almost four acres, and then I have, you know, temporary ones that I I moved throughout that to, to break it up. It kind of all depends on, honestly, how many pigs are there. It depends on what the ground's like at the time. Like, if it's real wet in an area, I might do a smaller area for a shorter period of time and then move them to a bigger area when it's better. It's kind of just all, you know, in the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But
2: absolutely. So like I said before, with them being in the woods and doing an excellent job clearing it out so this spring or last fall i saved a bunch of acorns because i don't have very many oaks around so i saved a bunch of acorns and went through that whole process and i have 186 little oak trees right now gone that i want to plant throughout the pasture and ideally someday have very nice silvo pasture and
1: yeah yeah, that that's that's nice. That's nice to have. Definitely, I, that's one thing we've been blessed with is a a uh, large, uh, you know, very mature uh, Eastern Appalachian hardwood f- uh, forest. Uh, it's it's for us, it's go in and just remove some things so we can get some grass growing versus planting and waiting yeah. for something to grow up. But yeah, def- definitely a nice uh, nice addition to the pasture, and that'll that'll pay dividends on down the road.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have I have real nice mature maple in it but you know maple's not really right. <laughs> providing much to them other than shade
1: yeah yeah that's that's the thing you, you find uh, at times uh, especially when you have something timbered of course uh, uh the, the protein producing trees are normally the most coveted in in uh, the process right. they uh, those tend to go first
2: i do have a lot of uh walnuts in in the pasture and um they don't seem to be too crazy about them green but when i turn them out in it the next year they love digging up the old ones and crunch on them, and they make the most God-awful sounds when oh. they're eating them, but they
1: <laughs> yes. love it. Yeah, and I can speak from that experience as well. You're exactly right. Ours would stay away from the green ones, and uh, I would usually uh, pick them up or have the boys pick them up and put them in feed sacks, and we'd just keep them in the barn. And same thing, the next next year toss them out there or that next spring let them go at it. And it seems like once they browned and Dried out a little bit. It was it was game on, and yeah, it sounds like yep. sounds like a, you know, a rock quarry grinding. You know, just all this crunching. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Absolutely horrible sound it makes my teeth hurt to hear it. Well, let's uh, let's talk about feed for a little bit. So, what's your feed strategy for your pigs?
2: So, for most of my time, I was always ration feeding. Um, next year, I'm going to try doing some self feeders with the the feeder pigs. Um, I'm going to continue to ration the. Styles and the and the um breeding stock uh just because i don't want them getting too big um but so i feed a 17 percent grower and i believe my um my breeding stock feed is like 13 yeah. percent um everybody gets six pounds a day three in the morning three at night i used to just do once a day, and. Um, I don't know if I noticed a lot in growth times, but what I've noticed is you have a much happier pig feeding twice a day,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the happier the pig is, the easier your life is.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, and that's um, that's something I've I've yeah I've been debating for a while because I'm I'm a one time a day ration. And, and then uh, yeah, I've, I've been testing, you know, kind of trialing in the morning versus in the late afternoon, just trying to see what makes the, the most sense. And it seems seasonal affects that as well. Right now, where there's nothing growing, there's not much forage that um, you get more of a hangry pig. <laughs> the later you wait in the day, right. but uh, but that is interesting.
2: Also, um, been blessed. I have a local uh, produce farm that has a, a pretty successful little farmers' stand going called Tebbs. Give me all their waste produce you know so like I, I would say at least two to three 55 gallon drums a day um most of the time it's pretty convenient i can swing swing in on my way home and pick them up and and they, they love it and you know i find out what they don't like they don't most of them don't like most potatoes they yeah. do not like eggplant um this year they didn't like cabbage at all which huh. was odd because they did before yeah that's interesting
1: yeah, I don't know that anybody likes eggplants, so I don't blame them. <laughs> no, I don't either. <laughs> I to, I'd skip that, too. <laughs> yep, yeah, but they love the fruit.
2: Um, there have been a couple times, like, you know, this year I think I got I got a pallet of watermelons once, a pallet of cantaloupe once. Um, Last year I got, like, 12 pallets of pumpkins at the end of the year. That was cool. The sheep love that as well, the pumpkins.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah pumpkins. Man, this... That that's that's a no-brainer because it's uh, it, they seem to just tear into that and usually in the, you know mid-November into November you just you know, you, people are just trying to get you to come get them so we we run into that yep. all the time. Good deal.
2: And they last they last good too. You know I dumped them, you know I dumped them in the back of a T-TAG dump truck we had and I just dumped them all on the ground and I'd scoop into them with the tractor and you know for a while I had pumpkins there and they love them forever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you'll probably, you know, this time, or in spring of this year, you'll have a bunch of more pumpkins growing up in that spot. <laughs> I did. I did last year, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we always joke the boys uh, would laugh because I'd feed them out, and the next spring we'd have uh, all these vines growing in the pasture, and we refer to them as poopkins. <laughs> yep. All right, well, let's... Um, Uh, I want to swing all the way back around, uh, to, to what you first said at the beginning. So three years and in turning this into a business with the goal of making it a full-time, uh, income opportunity for one of you, are you at that point right now? No, no. Um,
2: not yet. I, 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 I think within three years I can be at that point. Um, What's kind of going to limit me at this point now, which just like everybody else, is um, butcher appointments. Yeah. Uh, my butcher was gracious enough to tell me, you know, that I have, you know, he'll get me about till the end of the year, and then let him know how many butcher appointments I want for 2022. Yeah. And whatever I don't use, he has no problem with me canceling because he can fill them. But he says that. You know, you're going to want to get on the. If if you want to be serious about this, you're going to need to get on the calendar now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm I'm doing some thinking and and, and figuring, and we'll see. I um, I have a full time job. My dad and I are general partners. We do we have a construction business, hmm. and um, the idea is to be full time farming by the time he's he's ready to slow down and retire. He also owns a couple school buses, so that'll be a good thing for him to do in in retirement. So I would say in the next three three years, I would I would hope to be able to be full time.
1: All right, very good. So it sounds like that. Um, so obviously your butcher schedule, being able to do that, and then and of course this the scaling up element. So in, in a three year window, if you know, set aside the COVID ridiculousness that's causing these uh, processors to get get booked up the way they are. So with that set aside, then. Then scaling up on all of your livestock, I assume, is, is that primary goal. What uh, what additional infrastructure do you have to do in that next three years to get to that scale?
2: Infrastructure-wise, um, pretty much more uh, pig fence, definitely. But that's kind of I, uh, you know, I got the space. I actually have had um, another five acres. I have a perimeter road built around it that I was going to get to this year, and um, they never got far enough along to really motivate me to get it gone. And I have most of the material to do it. Um, Sheep-wise, I love the Premier One fence for the sheep. I mean, you can't can't beat that for, you know, the $1,500, $2,000 investment to have enough fence to give me unlimited pasture ground. Um, I only have so much here at the farm, but I have connecting – uh, neighbors that are very gracious and allow me to treat their land like my own. And um, as, it's funny, this year, the week before I moved the the sheep and everything, it's why I still have some of the beef cows off my neighbor's property. He has a very, very nice home that he's very tidy about. <clears throat> I get a text first thing in the morning on a Saturday, of all my sheep and my pigs up on his patio around his hot tub <laughs> licking his grill, <laughs> and, uh, but they didn't wear out their welcome. He was pretty entertained, so I was I was yeah. kind of lucky about that.
1: Wow, yeah, yeah, you dodged a bullet there. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's the deer, man. Those deer, those deer aren't fence trained, and uh-huh. every now and then they seem to run through it. Um, actually, it happened twice this year, and the one time the they were. Um, the fence was a mile away from the farm, and I came pulling in in the morning. Uh, it was like 4:30, and it was still dark, and my lights go through my one field, and I'm like, "Look at all them white deer!" And I back up, and all the sheep and the cows walked the mile <laughs> mile road all the way back to the farm, and we're laying in the middle of my field.
1: Wow, yeah, yeah. Don't get me started about uh, white-tailed deer. It, we we pulled up on the on the property just. um that was two nights ago, my wife and I and the boys, and, and of course, they had, like you said, the headlights go across the main bottom of there by our driveway, and, and of course, these whitetail get spooked, and they go sprinting across, and I just sort of said, watch. I said, they're going to just blast right through that fence instead of jumping. Yeah, it's a yep. pig fence, for crying out loud. Yep. It's two-strand electric. It's only um, you know two feet off the ground at its highest point. And sure enough, man, that the, the second one clipped a top line, and you just see insulators just shatter. Pow! <laughs> so like, yep. Now,
2: good. how are, how are your pigs? Like mine, usually, <clears throat> I, I like I walk the fence, you know, every day. Um, but you, they they would go a couple of days without without having a gust across that line. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. No, that's that's one of those things. It uh, with the pigs right now, as, as trained as they are, I, I could it could be down for two weeks, and I think it would be okay. Uh, that the, that fence there is right on the edge of the the one area that still has a lot of green grass. So they that two weeks may be pushing it. They may be looking at that and say, "Well, that may be worth crossing." Yep. <laughs> so, right now, yeah, That's
2: what the sheep. As long as the fence is up, it doesn't really have to be hot. But if if they, if it if a deer runs through and it's down anywhere, if they see a hole, they they're not scared. <laughs> yeah. They always see the greener grass on the other side.
1: Absolutely. yeah Just get right through it. So. So, uh, Robbie, what what other long-term goals do you have? So hopefully full-time in three years and scaling up, all that requires. What uh, what what do you think the next, you know, three to five years look like in, in, in any other areas? Any other improvements or things you want to do with the farm?
2: Um. Well, other than next year, we're going to be re-signing the barn. I mean, yeah, I, I have a lot of things I would love to do. Um, you know, I'd like to build additions. I'd like to do this or that. We're... Um, you know, probably in the next three to five years, also going to be starting a family. So we'll see what, you know, time and all that goes. But um, no, pretty much I just want to keep chugging along on the track I'm at. And, uh, you know, building building customers right now is, is kind of the the goal. Um, and that's gone pretty good. Facebook, I wish I would have started it a long time ago. We started in March. Um, I think we're up to like 537 followers or something like that not that i know the exact number like i check every day or anything <laughs> that's,
1: <but. laughs> right. that's just a wild estimation isn't it <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah 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 that, that's that's good yeah you know, it's it's good that you recognize that and the, and the need to have uh, that social media presence and, and the marketing efforts that go into that especially as you scale up that uh, having that customer base at the tip of your fingers and ready to reach out is, is always good
2: uh, you know, I really have the desire, too, to try to get my toe in some of the farmer's markets um, in the area. Uh, a couple concerns I have with that is I'm doing okay now selling whole half and quarters. Do I really need to, to go down to the cuts? And, um, but I do know, obviously, the farther down you go, the more you make. But I don't also really have the time. You know, my Saturdays are busier than, than I could want them to be. I don't, I don't know how I would get to a market. Um, and the same way with my wife, she would, she would be able to do some of them, but you know, when we talked about trying to find, uh, a good reliable person to do that with, um, the other route I thought about maybe getting, going to a couple local delis, um, and seeing if they wanted to distribute some of the product. Um, we, we have sold to a couple of catering businesses before, and, uh, that's pretty cool. One of the places is a wedding, wedding venue, and, he makes his own charcuterie and stuff like that, so that was pretty cool. Um, actually, one of the uh, people on your podcast—he um, was a doctor from Pennsylvania, and yeah. he was into the charcuterie and all that. I believe was he from Danville?
1: Uh, you know that was that's Doctor, was Doctor Smokehouse? Uh, I keep messing it up. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about, but I believe he was from that area. I'd have to go back and look. I've interviewed several people. Yeah, he's,
2: I believe he was, and that's like. You know, that's a half hour from. It's it's like an hour from my farm, but it's a half hour from what we call, you know, from or what I call like town. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that was. Uh, I'm sure I'm trying to go back here. this is, this is me trying to think on the fly and and look this up real quick? But uh, I'm probably not going to have the details in my notes. Yeah, I'm looking at six thousand names here. It, the, was, the, it
2: was. It was a while ago. I, <laughs> I tell you what, though, I want to give you a shout out. Uh, I look forward to every Wednesday. I mean, when I found the podcast, I don't know how long ago it's been, but I think you only had two or three out, and I blew right through them, and I was like, "Okay, this is like my one of my new favorite podcasts."
1: <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a real joy to do it. And I'm just sitting here looking. It looks like we're yeah, what's been live is uh, 56 episodes, technically 55 since I skipped a number, but yeah. 56 interviews or discussions it's just been exciting and and i i wonder you know how long can we keep this going as far as uh, relevant topics and relevant discussion but i think as long as there's uh, farmers out there doing like what you're doing learning and growing and and just expanding then uh, i mean we've already done it with some coming back around and just doing some follow-ups to say hey where you were last year two years ago where are you now and it's really neat to kind of hear how people have learned or changed or adapted i've yet to talk to anyone that says oh i quit i'm now you know pharmaceutical salesman or i do this now right yep we may run into that one of these days but so far so good
2: it seems like farming is that job that everybody wants to quit their other job and do (laughs)
1: right yeah yeah it does seem that way i yeah that's uh there's something romantic about it now of course uh you know, the world coming to an end last year kind of um, affected that as well. and The property is, uh, seems to be skyrocketing even in our neck of the woods where you don't have a lot of people moving to. The property prices are going up. So I, I think there's going to be a lot of people that want to embrace the dream. We'll just see how, how good of an embrace they can do there.
2: Yeah, and then we need to get our butcher, butchering situations in this country figured out. We need the Prime Act and things like that and, and people who know you yeah. know it's actually gone on to, to do something.
1: Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things. Our, our state's small enough, and, and some of the, the clients I have with my marketing company allow me. I, I was able to sit across the table from our agriculture commissioner last year, and I'm anxious to do that again and to be able to have some some real conversations with him just, just to see where he's coming from on this. because. It's amazing how these. you know I gotta watch. I'm gonna get too political here, but some of these um, politicians that are agriculture commissioners have absolutely no farm experience whatsoever. They may have a you know a sunflower farm or a turtle farm or you right. know, something crazy like that. And it's like, okay, yeah, he'll be agriculture commissioner. Well, they make policy for the entire state. So
2: yeah, aggravates me. But anyway. Yeah, it's just it's crazy. Like my butcher is is a USDA inspected butcher, and um, I have everything USDA inspected just because. Honestly it, it doesn't cost me that much more to do and you know, it's it's almost a, a marketing tool kind of to be able to say. But you know, I would he, he he does custom butchering too and the, the process is the exact same. There's just not some, some guy standing there watching. You know, I would trust I'd eat off my butcher's floor. All right. Um actually if I can give a shout out to them, it's Mark's Custom Meats.
1: Mark's and then Lamar, meat.
2: Pennsylvania.
1: Cool. Good deal, man. That's great. That's great that you've got a good relationship there. It's, I know a lot of us listening are coveting that right now. We'd like to have a, a, good solid relationship. My, I've been I've been a pinball here lately, bouncing around simply because of COVID causing. Um, you know my the one I like, the one I used all the time. He just said, I'm not doing any post processing because for me beef is where it's at. I'll I'll do beef as long as i can because it's in it's out and i don't have to do any of the any of the custom work that uh, that a hog requires that you know he has that additional liability for so it's it's been a drag we we don't like the circumstance we're in but it is what it is
2: yeah now let me ask you a question with uh with, like with switching out butchers like that have you run into that problem of the consistency and flavor with customers like noticing or caring
1: uh, I haven't had any feedback from them. I'm I'm a real stickler for that. So yeah, even little things like just packaging is different. So the bratwurst, for example, it's like okay, uh, the guy everyone's used to getting bratwurst for me cut up, so they look like larger sausage links. Well, the new, uh-huh. new the new guy we go to, he kind of does like the uh, you know the kielbasa style, where it's just like one big pound of 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 sausage kind of linked along there so it's just you know it's one one big piece in a loop versus individual cuts So just you know weird things like that i have to navigate Um, flavor differences not so much you know different obviously they kind of play around with mixes a little bit on their sausage Uh, but just things like that kind of aggravate me and and i haven't had a lot of feedback on that but the the real thing has been an issue for us right now is he's a custom processor and he stayed inspected so I can sell cuts, but he doesn't have his uh, smoking process uh, inspected to the point that he can do that. So right now I can't sell uh, hams or, or bacon right now to his cuts, which is, you know, it's a real drag, but it's just the the nature of it. If people say they want hams or bacon, then they just got to get a whole or half off of me. Yep. Which again, like you say, is the most, it just aggravates me to death because there's, you know, there's no difference to that process. <laughs> and it's like, you know, even the crossing the state line, I've had, I've had several people ask me to, if they could buy uh, pork off of me, they live just across uh, the the river in Ohio. It's like, now nah, my pork can't cross the state line for some reason. It becomes deadly as soon as it crosses the Ohio. River. Awful? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it makes just, no that sense. It aggravates me so much. Yeah, I mean, obviously you—you're you're, obviously you probably would run into that if you weren't USDA, since you're that close to the state line. But it's just—it's just asinine. It doesn't—it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I understand why they do it to some degree, but it is just kind of goofy. Right,
2: right, yeah, I yeah. We could go all day on this. I get very yeah. Frustrated.
1: Yeah, well, man, yeah, and I and I don't want to do that. I don't want to take all night. I know you've uh, you've got stuff going on. It's uh, lambing season for you, so. But I, gotta, I can't let you go without asking you the question. What is your best experience or favorite part about raising pigs on pasture?
2: Uh, my favorite part about raising pigs on pasture is going and feeding on Saturday morning and just being out there real early, the only person around, and just a bunch of pigs, oinking, knowing me, having their own personalities. And I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a really messy slob. And, uh, like, my parents always called my room a pig pen. And yeah. I guess I just kind of, I really do relate to pigs. Like, I, I have no problem getting down in the mud with them. And I just, I don't know. All of it. I love raising pigs. Yeah. <laughs> Step, I don't like medical stuff, I don't like sick animals. I don't, you know, I'm not a vet, and it frustrates me when I can't just snap my fingers or ask them how they feel. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah no, I, I think a lot of us would agree with that. That is, that is the downside of, of livestock is is trying yeah. to diagnose and navigate, and and you know that that challenge that I run into. It's like, should I should I try to call somebody to come out, and and of course, which is a real task for us, but uh, call somebody to come out and and inspect, or do I try to take on this myself? Uh, and then, you know, fortunately, we haven't had an issue where you know, an animal would die from that. But, you know, you would always second guess yourself or you know, did I waste that money? Did I waste that time or did I just kill that animal because I didn't call somebody to come out? So, yeah, that's that's always right. frustrating.
2: And yeah. that's um, that's real quick. That's one of the big things, too, that are is, is one of the things that I can't believe I didn't talk about at all on this. But is the, the ethical side of farming is, is something that I, I'm real big into, like, you know, that that one bad day i really do believe in that and i and i really strive for that and you know i i have a bad day that day as well like i don't enjoy dropping them off at the butcher you know yeah it's kind of a hassle because my butcher appreciates them dropped off the night before but like i don't i don't do that i won't do that i don't i'm not making them sleep in that place all night
1: right yeah i hear you yeah it's 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 good to take responsibility for your animals. It's good to want to see the animal welfare be as solid as possible from day one to the end. And, you know, there are challenges that go along. There are things that, um, mistakes you make that make that animal's life or death your responsibility. But but I agree. I, I think if, if we all kind of addressed our farms that way, I think we could change agriculture, you know, one farm at a time completely. Yeah. Well, Robbie, I appreciate you coming on, man. How can, uh, uh, why don't you give us a shout out for your Facebook page there so people can find you if they want to to check you out?
2: You can check us out at uh, Scale Ridge Farms on Facebook. And uh, we have an Instagram as well that my wife's in charge of, but I don't know how often she's actually posted on it. But for the most part, we're on Facebook and, uh, you know, try to keep things updated at least once a week or once every other week or so, kind of. Kind of time goes by and you forget about it, but
1: we're pretty active on it. Yeah, good deal, good deal. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. It was great talking to you. Uh, yeah, I had in my notes here, I was going to tell everybody how old you are, but I'm going to leave that part out. I'm just going to I'm just going to let your experience and your your wisdom that you've shared with us just let that decide. Cause uh, I don't want anybody to make any any disparaging thoughts about a young guy doing all this. Cause it sounds like you've got a really good handle on it, and and it's exciting to talk to someone who has. That's the years of experience that you already have. You just got started real early, which is awesome.
2: Yeah, I did. And like I said to you in the side of the podcast, I'm by no means an expert in anything. I just, I'm just, i just really into it. That's all. <laughs> I
1: hear you. That's great. Well, man, I'd, I'd love to be your age and have that uh, direction and have that ambition. When I was your age, I was still kind of fumbling around trying to figure out what I want to be when I grew up. So <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> Well, man, I pray you have a good week and uh, you you take care and and we'll 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 probably come back around and talk to you soon at some point.
2: Awesome, I'd appreciate that. Thanks, Jerry. Merry Christmas.
1: All right, same to you. Well, all right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that conversation with Robbie. I, again, love to love to have that energy. Well, I'm still looking for a veterinarian to talk to. So, um, again, putting out the All Points Bulletin there. If any of you all have experience, have a vet that you would recommend that has experience in pastured pigs that would be willing to come on the podcast, share their wisdom with us, share their insights, maybe even tell some ghastly stories, that's what we'd like to hear. So please, uh, if you know anybody that way, uh, you can send them uh, either to my, uh, you can send them to me or give me their info and I can reach out to them. That can all be done at redtoolhouse.com. Click on the Pastured Pig podcast link and you can see a form there where you can submit or just simply email troy at redtoolhouse.com. Don't forget the Patreon support down. I'll put uh, the link and some of the details down in the show notes so you can see what we've got going on and we'll catch you guys in two weeks from now as we have another, hopefully another great interview. All right. Take care and God bless.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.